when life disappoints. Rest a moment when trust is shattered, when hopes are dashed, when a loved one leaves you before doing anything. Just pause your life and rest a moment. If you can, surround yourself with close friends and share food and dreams. While slowly letting out the bottled-up stories of betrayal, disappointment, and hurt, head to a movie theater alone or with your best friend. Pick the silliest movie, even if you normally don't watch comedies, and laugh out loud until it hurts, and shed a few tears as if nobody is looking, like a carefree teenager. Find a song that speaks to your heart. Play it over and over, and sing along to it over and over, as though you're doing it for all the wounded souls. If none of that helps, use your vocation days to take a trip, go somewhere you've always said you wanted to go. The Grand Canyon, the Camino de Santiago, Machu Picchu, all by yourself, just you and the road. After spending time alone, go to your own sacred place. Close your eyes and clear your mind. Even if you're not the spiritual, invoke the heart of compassion and feel the embrace of acceptance, downcast and heartbroken. I know you were once me, and I was once you. So today, I pray for you. Love yourself despite your imperfections. Do you not feel compassion for yourself as you struggle through life? You're so eager to help your friends, but you treat yourself so poorly. Stroke your heart once in a while and tell yourself, "I love you." On a piece of paper. Write down everything that stresses you out. List everything you ought to do, including minor things, watering plants, replying to emails. The stresses are now contained on a piece of paper, away from your mind. So relax tonight. Tell yourself you will go through the, the list tomorrow, item by item, starting with the easiest. When you open your heart the next morning, your mind and body will be ready. I can guarantee that. Don't get up. Don't give up in the face of criticism. Learn to brush aside what people who don't know you have to say. Having critiques means that you're doing. Having critiques mean what you're doing is getting people's attention. Have courage and continue down the path you are on. Life teaches us through our mistakes. When you make a mistake, simply ask yourself what you were meant to learn from it. When we accept such lessons with humility and gratitude, we grow that much more. To be happy. It is not necessary to expend great effort so we get somewhere else. 
instead relax into the present moment while finding humor in your life. With humor, life becomes light and leisurely. And laughter always brings people to experience openness and joy. Humor opens closed doors. Humor can free us from the grip of our thoughts. When we smile, we feel we can accept things we previously could not. We feel we can forgive those who have wronged us. Humor is an essential part of life. When you're joyful, our heart opens up to new things. When we are in a bad mood, we can't o- we can't be open to new things, no matter how wonderful they are. Without joy in our heart, our progress in life is slow and uninteresting. Those who work in a playful, relaxed manner tend to work efficiently and creatively. Those who work non-stop, driven by stress, work without joy. To keep doing your work for a long time, do not treat it as just work. View it as the source of enjoyment and growth. The road to happiness lies not just in finding a good job, but also in learning to enjoy what you are asked to do. Do you feel unsettled or depressed? Then look at a child's sleeping face for a minute. You will soon feel ripples of peace. A family takes a walk amid fallen autumn leaves. Dad lifts up his five-year-old son, and the boy showers him with kisses. Mom watches with a smile on her face. If we take time. To look around, we see ourselves surrounded by lovely moments. Would you like to make your child happy? Then get off work a little early today. Wait for your child in front of school. Horse around together on the playground. Let your child choose where to go for dinner, and shower your child with your loving attention. On your way home, pick up ice cream for the family. Your child will remember this forever. Before your children are all grown up, travel as frequently as you can as a family. Although we see our family every day, we don't really get to be with one another. A change in environment can do wonders and can bring families closer. A good family trip can prevent divorce. What makes music beautiful is the distance between one note and another. What makes speech elogue is the appropriate pause between words. From time to time, we should take a breath and notice the silence between sounds. When you have to make an important decision, don't lose sleep over it. Just take the special medicine called time, and wait. Your subconscious will search for the answer. Two days later, or three, the answer will dawn on you. As you are waking up. Taking a shower or talking to a friend, put faith in your subconscious mind and give yourself time. If something goes wrong, we often turn inward and blame ourselves. But is it really our fault? For example, if I were James Taylor and someone were looking for Pararodi, then naturally I wouldn't be choosing. 
But this does not mean that I lack musical talent. It means only that I'm not the right match. So be more confident and please stop beating yourself up. Even if you are having just a bowl of cereal of dinner, eat it with a loving attitude of nourishing yourself. Isn't it tiring to constantly have to care for your body? Pat yourself on the back of the hard work you're doing. And go to bed one hour earlier as a gift to your body. Do you have something on your mind? And take a walk in the sun. Under the warmth of the sun, your brain will release serotonin, which claims the mind. If you let your mind linger on the cushion without trying too hard to find a solution, an answer will emerge on its own. If you keep hoping to be comforted by others. You can feel weighed down by that need. If you have a constant need to be heard, nobody can meet that need to your complete satisfaction. Rather than always seeking comfort from others, offer your comfort and listen to others. In the process of helping, you will be healed. Instead of a lottery ticket, buy some flowers for yourself and your family. If you buy flowers and place them in the living room, you will feel like a winner every time and find an abandoned beauty whenever you pass by the living room. Has something disappointed you? Has something made you sad? It is a school of life trying to teach you an important lesson. When you feel ready, take the time to understand the lesson. The world will keep turning. Even without you, let go of the idea that your way is the only way, that you are the only one who can make it happen. The more grateful we feel, the happier we become. This is because gratitude helps us realize we are all connected. Nobody feels like an island when feeling grateful. Gratitude awakens us to the truth of our interdependent nature. If you genuinely care for others and look for ways to help others succeed, you won't need to look for ways to boost your mood. A selfless and kind act will lift your spirit and self-worth. If you are having a bad day, see if you can find a way to help someone else. Even a small gesture of help will make you feel better. Thank you for listening. We will see you in the next section. This is Sophia. Bye bye. Do you know kung fu? When I walk around New York City in a gray monastic robes, I often encounter little boys who imitate Bruce Lee upon seeing me. At first, I didn't understand what they were doing, but soon enough, I did. They assumed everyone with a shaved head. Wearing robes, with no martial arts, I thought this was cute and amusing. A more forward boy even asked me if I knew kung fu, like those Chinese monks at Shaolin Temple. The playful side of me wanted to make a few fake kung fu poses, slowly raising my arms and my right leg. When adults first adults find out that I'm a Buddhist monastic. They ask with curiosity, 
What kind of meditation do you practice? Or how many hours do you sit every morning? Your mind must be very peaceful. Then they talk about their experiences at a local Zen center or yoga studio. Or tell me about a book or mindfulness they have come across. For many adults in the West, it seems that a Buddhist teacher is someone who is serene and collected thanks to daily meditation. Although the assumptions of the child and the adult are different, I find that there is an underlying similarity. Both child and adult are curious about what it is that a monk does. In other words, when it comes to imagining a monk's identity, people in the West tend to zero in on his behavior. When I'm in Korea, a different set of questions awaits me. On the subway, for instance, the person sitting next to me might ask, Where is your home mon monastery? Or which temple do you currently reside in? For Koreans, it appears that the most defining part of a person is where he lives. Even in the US, when Koreans first meet, after exchanging names, the first question they ask is, Where in Korea are you from? It seems that for many Koreans, one's identity Identity is tied closely to his hometown rather than to what he is doing. Every time I return to Korea, I wonder why Koreans are so obsessed with their alma mater, even when they are over 50 years old. Of course, when it comes to finding a job, having graduated from prestigious university is advantageous in most part of the world. But the degree alone is often not enough. Even if one has landed a good job, One's skills and experience are more important than where one has studied. A good example is Steve Jobs. The co-founder of Apple, Jobs went to Reed College, but dropped out after one semester. Anyone familiar with American higher education would know that Reed is an excellent liberal arts college in Portland, Oregon. But to an average Korean who has heard only of the Ivy League, In a few large universities in California, Reed would be considered subpar. If Steve Jobs had been Korean, his educational background would have been a huge impediment to a successful career. Nobody would have taken his idea seriously or invested in his company. He would have been seen as not smart enough to have gone to an Ivy League. This concerns me. If we consider someone's identity as rooted primarily in his hometown or the school he graduated from, we end up looking only at his past and not paying attention to his current skills or future version. I'm sorry, future vision. Only those born into good families with the right education and background and connections are given a chance to succeed. Why those from less than ideal backgrounds who are priming with potential are denied opportunities. Whenever young boys approach me to ask if I know Kung Fu, it becomes an occasion for me to reflect on my life. Am I behaving like a spiritual teacher? Uh, have I become complacent in my identity and the and ignore the work I'm called to do? Moreover, when I meet someone new, do I make an effort to see who is beneath his social makers? Or am I reducing people to their background and failing to see who they really are? I'm reminded again that 
anyone, including those young boys, can be our spiritual teacher if we are willing to open our hearts to them. Life is like a slice of pizza. It looks delicious in an advertisement, but when we actually have it, it is not as good as we imagined. If we envy someone's life, remember the pizza in the ad. It always looks better than it is. Have you ever selected a chapter dish from the menu, than the one you really wanted, only to regret your choice when it arrived? Always go with your first choice if you can afford it. It is better than a life filled with regrets. There are many more ordinary hours in life than extraordinary ones. We wait in line at the supermarket. We spend hours commuting to work. We water our plants and feed our pets. Happiness means finding a moment of joy in those ordinary hours. When you concentrate, even a phone book can be interesting. If you're bored, maybe you're not concentrating. Wherever you go, cultivate a sense of ownership. If you see litter in a church, library, or a park, pick it up. As you take ownership, your life will have more purpose, and people will notice your good example. It makes sense that Scandinavia should be famous for furniture design, since people in a cold climate spend more time inside their homes. Similarly. Italy is renowned for designer apparel. It makes sense that people in a warm climate should pay more attention to how they appear outdoors. Where you live shapes you. Do you live in a place conducive to the pursuit of your dream? We don't think twice about spending nine or ten dollars on a glass of wine, and yet we hesitate when it comes to buying a book, which is the price of only one or two glasses of wine. Apparently, most. People are unable to tell the difference between a fifteen-dollar bottle of wine and a fifty-dollar bottle. The extra thirty-five is the price of our vanity. When purchasing something, you will have for a long time, like a house or a piano, choose the best within your means, not something that will do for now. You might think it is good enough, but after a while, you will regret it. A good customer does not say. Please do whatever you think is best. She knows exactly what she wants and communicates it clearly. If a customer does not communicate what she wants, she may still have preferences, which might be expressed as a complaint once the work is completed. When there is a problem, take it up with the person who is responsible. If you addressed it in a roundabout way to other people, out of fear of upsetting the person in your relationship. Then the problem becomes more complicated. Go straight to the source and deal with the person directly. Even if this makes you uncomfortable, the more you know, the more you think you don't. The more you don't know, the more you think you do. Any social phenomenon is difficult to generalize. The causes are embedded in a complex web of history, culture. Politics and economics. If someone explains the social phenomenon in simple terms, he is either an expert or a fool. The biggest obstacle to learning is pretending to know even when you don't. It is better to admit you don't know something. If you pretend, you have to act as if you knew all along, 
It is easier to learn when you set aside your pride and are honest. The compassionate gaze of the wounded soul is more beautiful than the naive smile of an inexperienced youth. The determination to convince someone might stem from being not completely convinced yourself. I do not go around trying to convince people that I am a man. Wear confident. It is the height of fashion. When you hold too firmly to our beliefs, when we hold too firmly to our beliefs, we risk being blind to reality and seeing only what conforms to our beliefs. The person who say that person is so political is usually just as political, if not more. Admiration does not come easily. Rather than setting a goal of becoming rich and powerful, aim higher, becoming admired in your field. One of the greatest blessings in life is meeting someone we truly admire. That person becomes a beacon of hope, shielding us from cynicism. Sometimes life throws us a curveball for no reason that we can fathom. But do not despair. We're not alone. We can persevere. This too shall pass, like the heat of summer. As you enter your forties, you start to think, "This is what life is all about. Is this all there is?" The sad and hollow feeling. I too know it. Love, not righteous words, can change people's lives. Okay, so thank you for listening. This is ah.、Uh, A part of the section from chapter six, life.、Um, my name is Sophia, and I will see you in the next section. Bye bye. Hello. So this is from the things you can see only when you slow down. How to become in a busy world.、Um, chapter eight, spirituality. The title is "Long Lost Cousin." Do not judge. So that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard measure, it will be measured to you. Matthew seven one to two. Whenever I read the above biblical passage, I am reminded of a similar philosophy in the Buddhist tradition called the law of karma. As many people know, it is the law of cause and effect, often described. Sustainably in the West, as you reap what you sow, or what goes around comes around. It is a wonderful admonition that compels us to examine the consequences of our thought, speech, and behavior. Although I'm a Buddhist, I have been deeply influenced by many passages in the Bible. I,、um, the first time I picked up the Bible for serious study was in college. For my comparative religious class,、uh, I learned about the history of Christianity and analyzed various biblical lessons. And soon, I began to open my heart to it. I realized that truth is not the exclusive property of any one religion. It has a universal quality that allows people of different religions traditions to recognize and respect it. About two years about two years ago, I had the unique opportunity to visit a rural a rural French village called Taize in eastern 
Burgundy, along with elder monks from my Buddhist order. It is an ecumenical Christian monastic community where monastic brothers live according to the Bible. Taizu is famous as a Christian pilgrim site, each year attracting more than 100,000 young adults from all over the world. The pilgrims usually spend several years in the community while practicing in morning, midday, and evening prayers, as well as quiet reflections and small group discussions. I was already familiar with the Taizu community soul staring chants and was looking forward to attend their wonderful prayer service. When we arrived at the beautiful Taizu, the brothers came out and greeted us warmly, glad in white robes. They had gentle smiles and a peaceful presence. Although as we were angels incarnated, incarnated, angels incarnated, our light gray monastic robes look uh, quite similar to their white ones. And it was as if we had become a large family. The brothers gave us a tour of the community and to officially welcome us, chanted, um, Confitimini Domino, one of the most beautiful songs I have heard in my life. We were invited to their living quarters and had a night chat, followed by midway prayers in the Church of Reconciliation. The more time we spent in Taizu, the more I could see the similarities to Buddhist monastic living. The brothers spent hours in silent prayer as a way to turn their attention to God within, not unlike our silent meditation practice. Another similarity was that the brothers wore a ring to signify their vows to God. Monk from my order wore a small incense burned on our left arm when we received our rule precepts. Some may think that life in, life in such community is repressed, strict, and difficult. But that is not the case. A monastic life is characterized, characterized by simple beauty and unexpected joy. Monks find happiness in things that may seem trivial to those who pursue the material trappings of success. Watching the seasons change, the blossoming of magnolias, the dazzling fall foliage, the first snowfall brings indescribable joy and gratitude. A small meal made with fresh ingredients from the nearby mountains is a source of great contentment. Because our monastic brothers are our friends, teachers, and family. We are never lonely. At lunch, we are presented to a complete surprise with Kimchi. We were told that the brothers had gathered a few days before our arrival to make it themselves. We were so moved by their hospitality and did not know how to reciprocate. Although we were from a different religion and country, they welcomed us with considerations and love. When we left Taizu, we left as though we would visit. We just visited our long lost cousin. I knew I would cherish this bond for the rest of my life. Even now, when I see one of the elder monks who visited Taizu with me, we finally record eating the brother's kimchi with bakete. Bakete's nice. How shall we consider a different spiritual path? We should approach it with humility, as well as willingness to learn about another tradition. If our faith can be shaken from merely learning about a different tradition, then that faith is not worth keeping. Reverend Dr. Kang Wong Yang, 
1917-2006. Just as my fate is precious and significant to me, wouldn't it, be the, wouldn't it be the same for people of other faith? Just as my mother is dear and important to me, wouldn't this be the case of my neighbor and its mother? May people know how to differentiate between the certainty of one's faith and the folly of attacking other faith. May faith never become an ideological weapon to justify violence. If Jesus, Buddha, and Confucian, Confucius were all alive and gathered in the same place, would they argue over who's right, or would they respect and admire one another's teaching? Religious conflict can often be blamed not on the founder of religions, but on their fanatical followers. The purpose of religions is to control yourself, not to criticize others. How much am I doing about my anger, attachment, hatred, pride, and jealousy? These are the things we must check. We must check in our daily lives. His Holiness the Dalai Lama. The essence is forgotten. Richard takes over. When Richard dominates spiritual practice, our outward appearance become more important than our inner experience. For instance, if we meditate in the hope of enlightenment, how long and with whom you meditate is not as important as how, you, how your practice has changed your heart and your relationships. According to Professor Kang Nam Oh, the faithful can be divided radically into two groups, people of surface faith and people of in-depth faith. The surface faithful are bound by spiritual symbols. They often dispute the spiritual symbols of other faith. The in-depth, faithful understand meanings deeper than the symbols. They can find similar meanings in the symbolism of diverse spiritual traditions and a harmony among such traditions. Heretic is a loaded term. It has been slapped on any belief or practice that doesn't conform to the dominant spiritual belief of an era. If you're calling a spiritual path heretical, remember that yours was once considered as such when it first started. He who knows only one religion knows none. Max Muller, 1823-1900, German scholar of comparative language, religion, and mythology. Ignorance of other spiritual paths combined with fear can give rise to religious persecutions and violence. Major wisdom tradition around the world teach humility, love, and forbearance. Nothing bad will come of learning about them. You can admire a spiritual learner. So you can admire a spiritual leader, but never idolize him. Blind faith in the leader can easily reduce you to acting like a tie, handing over your ill nerve and asking the leader to do things for you. Medicine can be prescribed but it must be you who takes it a spiritual leader is a finger pointing at the moon if the finger attempts to become the moon this can lead to a grave sin we must cultivate all three intelligences for our overall health critical intelligence emotion intelligence and spiritual intelligence if one falls to the wayside the slow of the growth oh, if one falls to the wayside, it slows the growth of the other two. If you have developed critical intelligence but neglected emotional intelligence, then you may not be sensitive to the suffering of the other.
of others. There's no they. If you have developed emotional intelligence but neglect spiritual intelligence, that you may lose hope after seeing the world suffering. Yeah, if you have developed spiritual intelligence, but neglect critical intelligence, then you may fall victim to the abuse of a cult. Whatever the circumstances, do not feel inferior. Remember that God has created you in His divine image. You're the most precious daughter, a son of God. You're also the Buddha. Even if you have not realized it yet, you have the same Buddha nature as all Buddha in the universe. Do not allow anyone to make you feel less than that. Faith is overvalued while practice is undervalued. If you emphasize faith over practice, spirituality remains ideology, creating the- theological conflicts. But if we focused on carrying out the teachings in our actual lives. We realize that the love taught by Jesus is no different from the compassion taught by the Buddha. If you wish for peace among different spiritual path, then practice what you preach. Three Bible verses I cherish: In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to be treated, for this is the law of the prophet. Matthew seven twelve. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Matthew seven twenty one. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the one of those brother of mine, I'm sorry, I say it again. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Matthew twenty five forty. Okay, this is the end, and this is amazing. I hope you learned something from it. Okay, so chapter eight spirituality. Temper your eagerness. Although I still felt like a student. Before I knew, I knew it. I have PhD after my name, and have become a college professor in a small town in Massachusetts. I still recall vividly how my heart pounded at the thought of meeting my students for the first time. I was filled with eager anticipation, much like a teenager going on a blind date. I try to remember the many wonderful teachers who had taught me, and I hope I would embody some of their skills in an an authentic presence. If the two courses I was teaching, of the two courses I was teaching that first semester, one was the subject that had been the most inspiring to me when I was a student: introduction to Buddhist meditation. I didn't want this class to be merely theoretical. I wanted to prove students with a chance to actually experience meditation for themselves. I hope that later, even after they graduated from college, they would turn to meditation when confronted with difficulties in their lives. I thought. 
The best gift I could give my students was the ability to observe their own minds objectively and not be caught up in their ever-changing thoughts and emotions. I still remember my first lecture like it was yesterday. Before going into that class, I was worried about what I would say and how I would say it. But I ended up speaking passionately about the incredible rarity of what is called karmic affinity in Buddhism. I told the students that according to Buddhist teachings, our gathering there that day was not the product of mere chance, but a result of our having met over countless lifetimes. I also said that since our time together was such a rare, precious occurrence, we should aim for a productive semester. As many of the students were freshmen, they were very sincere and seemed to have great expectation for college. The class size was limited to 25 students, so it was not difficult for me to learn all their names and I was able to have brief chats with each of them. I found out why they were taking the class and what they hoped to learn. I liked them all and promised myself I would dedicate my time and energy to their education. My enthusiasm became even more evident as the class began. I gave my students a little more homework than the other professors. As I felt the urge to teach them as much as I could. When I received their assignments, I graded them very carefully and as quickly as I could. In addition, I asked the students to practice meditation every day and to keep journals of their experiences, while other professors typically hosted one dinner with their students toward the end of the term, I held gatherings several times including a picnic to a local Buddhist monastery. Once I asked my students to join me at a local church for a talk given by a prominent American Vipassana meditation teacher. As the semester progressed, I began to realize that my eagerness was creating some problems. I thought that if I did my utmost to teach the students, they would try their best to follow along. The majority of students seemed grateful that I was giving them a variety of experiences, but a few appeared tired and seemed to lose interest. Students began coming to class without having done the assignments, some without having completed their readings. A number of them brazenly declared that since the visit to the monastery and the local church were not part of the class, they shouldn't have to attend. I began to feel disappointed and even hurt. I couldn't help myself. I was doing everything I could for them and they were rejecting what I was offering. I examined this feeling of disappointment. When I saw the students more clearly, I realized how unskillfully I had been conducting myself. The class was just one out of four the students were taking. Important as the subject was to me, the other causes were equally important to them. 
it was only natural that they couldn't invest all their times in my course. But I hadn't been able to see that clearly and have been caught up in my own desire to teach. No matter how effective the medicines may be, if you demand that someone take it, it can taste like poison. My teaching style was becoming poisonous to some students. After this realization, in the middle of the semester, I altered the class to find an appropriate balance between my passion for teaching and my students' capacity to learn. To my amazement, the student noticed the, the difference almost immediately and began to respond positively. I didn't burden them on my overzealousness, and they slowly rediscovered their interest in the class on their own terms. When that happened, I realized something I should have known all along. When we are first given a job, especially one we have been working towards for a long time, it's easy to become overly enthusiastic as we're eager to prove ourselves. But in our excitement, we make the mistakes of equating our own eagerness with effectiveness. Getting the job done well is more important than one's feelings of doing a good job. It takes wisdom to discern that these two are not always related. In some cases, one's zealous effort can get in the way of achieving the desired outcome, especially if one is unable to see the needs of the others working toward it together. Only when we know how to control this overflowing passion can we work harmoniously and effectively with others. Only then can we effectively share our enthusiasm with those around us. The toll of a bell is heard far and wild only when the bell is struck hard. Your influence won't spread far without the sacrifice of hard work. The world notices your effort more quickly than you think. It is important that you work hard, but don't be enamored of the feeling of working hard. If you're drunk on that feeling, then you care less about the actual work than about how you appear to others to be working hard. The most dangerous people are those who have passion but lack wisdom. If you want to predict how a politician will act after winning an election, look at how he currently lives and how he has behaved in the past. A person does not live the way he says he would. He lives the way he has been living. Historically, the people who bring about change in society tend to be not the middle-aged but passionate youth. Their hearts are sensitive to the plight of the oppressed. Their spirits stand tall against injustice and fight for the voiceless. Hold on to that youthful heart and spirit no matter how old you are. Everyone is kind to someone they meet for the first time. The question is how long their kindness lasts. And don't be fooled just because someone is nice to you at first. When hiring, look beyond skills and experience to see if the candidate knows how to enjoy her job. People who enjoy the work are usually more successful than those who don't. No matter what we do, the top button of our business must be fastened properly if we think 
I would just do it this way for now and fix it later. It usually does not happen. Because later we may not have the motivation to fix it. Or we just get used to the way it is. It is like moving into a house and deciding, deciding to fix it up over time. Even after many years, we never get around to fixing it. We end up just living with the way things are for a long time. Someone thinks, I will study hard so I can get into a prestigious college. Someone else thinks, I will study hard so I can teach my sister, who cannot attend school because my family cannot afford to send her. Although they both have the same determination to study hard, their motivations are quite different. A vow to help others can summon immense energy from within. This is why people take the Bohitsava vows to save all sentient beings before embarking on a journey of spiritual enlightenment. When you're making a decision, try to assess how many people it will benefit. If it satisfies only your ego and unnecessarily hurts many, then it is the wrong decision. Be the kind of person who can put yourself in someone else's shoe and understand something not just from your own perspective, but from theirs as well. Are you trying to get closer to someone? Is it because you want something from him? If you wish to be truly close, then discard your ulterior motives. When you are genuinely kind without an agenda, then others will more readily open up to you. Some people are generous and kind to those outside their circle, while neglecting the needs of those within it. It is a mistake to take family and close colleagues for granted. When those closest to you feel ignored and betrayed, everything you have built can collapse in an instant. A large boulder is an example to us of how to stay true and not to waver, even when waves of praise or criticism rush over us.